Good afternoon. So good to see many of you today. If you have your Bibles, please open it up to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. The Northeast blackout of 2003 was a widespread electrical blackout in parts of the United States and Canada. It affected approximately 50 million people, resulting in death of about 100 people, and cost an estimated $6 billion worth in damage. What began as a series of tree branches touching power lines in Ohio, which were then complicated by human error, software issues, and equipment failures, led to the most widespread blackout in North American history. How many of you guys remember when this happened in 2003? Some of you maybe have been in New York. Okay. Well, anyways, it happened. Uh, in the heat of the summer in August, residents of the Northeast, uh, areas of Massachusetts, large parts of New York, including much of Manhattan, most of New Jersey, parts of Connecticut, northwest parts of Pennsylvania, Ohio, and southern Ontario, were left without air conditioning in the middle of August as a result of the power plants going into safe mode. Water pumps that supplied water pressure were halted, causing potential contamination of water supplies. Millions of residents had to be placed under a boil water advisory for several days. People couldn't drink, shower, or bathe. Sewage pumps were on a standstill. Transportation stopped. Trains and subways running into and out of the city were shut down. Airports were closed. Flights were canceled. Many oil refineries on the East Coast were powered down. Gas stations were unable to pump fuel. Residents were in panic, lined up for hours to get what limited supply of petroleum was available at very high costs. So cars were stopped in the middle of the roads as a result. Cellular communication was disrupted. Uh, cable television systems were disabled. In New York, uh, the outage left nearly 16 million people in the dark. And having been just less than two years since the 9-11 attacks, it led many to suspect terrorism. Terrorist attacks uh, had taken down the grid, causing people to fear for the worst. The point of this recounting, uh, this blackout, is to remind us, ironically, how it is through such a blackout in darkness, we come to see how light affects every facet of our lives. How much we are dependent on light. How light is the source of life. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of John in our series, In the Beginning Was the Word. And for part one, we focused on the seven uh, signs or the miraculous works of Jesus. And for part two, we are focusing on the seven I am sayings of Jesus and its relevant passages. Uh, through these signs and sayings, the author of this eyewitness account of Jesus' life and ministry has an explicit message, which is stated specifically in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, which says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, the purpose of these specific signs and sayings recorded for us is to show us who Jesus is 
and what he came to do. In our passage this afternoon from John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20, in the second I am statement, Jesus reveals himself to be the light of the world. So, what did Jesus intend to teach us by this saying? How does it affect us today? This afternoon from our passage, I want to share with you three truths of what Jesus meant, that he is the light of the world. So here's the outline so you can, you can follow. Point number one from verses 12, verse 12, life. Point number two from verses 13 through 18, truth. And point number three from verses 19 and 20, way. Life, truth, and way. I pray that through these words, you would come to know Jesus and his purpose for why he came and what that means for you and me. As believers, I pray that you would come to treasure more deeply what it means that Jesus, the light, came for us to save us from darkness. I pray that it would teach us and encourage us how to follow Jesus better. And if you're not a Christian here today or are not sure that you are, I pray that you would not be left in the dark that the light of Jesus would illuminate your hearts and minds today, this afternoon, and that God would reveal himself to you. I pray that you would come to know Jesus as Christ, the Son of God, and that you would have life in his name. So without further ado, let's turn to our passage. Follow along as I read and preach, and please keep your Bibles open for the duration of the entire message so you can know that these are God's words and not man's words. Amen? If you're new to reading the Bible, uh, the passage is found around uh, page 894 of your Bibles in the fourth book of the New Testament, the last third of the Bible, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll see two numbers if you're new to the Bible. The big numbers are the chapter numbers. The small numbers are the verse numbers. So John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. Let's read it now. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bear witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. What did Jesus mean? He is the light of the world. Point number one, Jesus is the life. Uh, From verse 12. Look with me there one more time. It says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're picking back up where we left off during the Jewish celebration of the Feast of Booths, where all of Israel were gathered together. Uh, This annual commemoration was to recall God's presence 
and provision for them during their wilderness wanderings out of their bondage from Egypt. So various traditional worship rituals took place during the feast, recounting God's faithfulness to them. Uh, And at the same time, what it meant was that it anticipated the blessings of the coming uh, messianic age. So it is in this richly symbolic celebration in chapter 7, Jesus appears in the temple in the middle of the feast and begins to teach, teaching them that there is a deeper and truer meaning to these rituals. By this point, everyone knew of Jesus. They've seen his miraculous works. They have heard of his amazing teachings. And they wondered if he was indeed the Christ. No one had spoken like him with such insight into God's word. No one had spoken with such powerful divine authority. And so, in verse 25 of chapter 7, the people of Jerusalem rightly said of Jesus, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? And when Jesus, at the end of the Feast of Boots, after the festival of the water, uh, Jesus stands up in front of the crowds and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus was telling them that he himself was the fulfillment of the prophesied messianic blessings of the Old Testament Scriptures. And that he himself was indeed the promised Messiah. And it says in verse 31 of chapter 7, many of the people believed in him. But yet again, even against these overwhelming evidences, the Jewish authorities, the Pharisees, who are supposed to be the teachers and the keepers of the law, the shepherds of God's people, were so focused on themselves, blinded by their own selfish ambitions and motives, grew in their frustration and anger against Jesus. They were threatened by fear and jealousy and their apparent hypocrisy, which Jesus points out again and again to them. And it's clear by the end of chapter 7 that the Jewish leaders are so set and and willing and desirous of destroying Jesus, even if it meant they were to twist the truth. As they determine in verse 52, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. But sovereignly, no one is able to touch Jesus, even as Jesus is openly teaching in the temple. Even over numerous attempts to arrest him, no one can touch him. Because God is in full control over the situation. And Jesus again and again assures why they are not able to do anything, despite all their scheming and all their plotting and efforts to kill him. Why? Because he says his hour, the hour of his sacrificial death on the cross, had not yet come. You see, Jesus wasn't swayed by man's agenda. Jesus was on a mission for redemption. Jesus was in complete control. Last Sunday, our brother Jacob Hawley taught us so well from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And he shared that the passage is known as a textual variant. One of the few passages in the Bible where scholars debate its validity which means there is a debate among biblical scholars whether that passage was really written by John and whether it belongs here in chapter 8. Well, although I won't die on this hill in support of one way or the other, 
I am in agreement with J.C. Ryle that the placement of verses uh, 1 through 11 of chapter 8 falls nicely with the flow of the narrative of these chapters. Because if you omit the account of the woman caught in adultery, there is definitely a disconnect with the angry counsel of Pharisees and their frustration with Nicodemus seemingly uh, defending Jesus at the end of chapter 7, but retain it and keep this account, then the connection from the end of chapter 7 and the passage today seems clear. A night has passed. The angry group of Pharisees have dispersed at Jesus' challenge. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And they all dispersed. And a new day had arose. And still in the lingering remnants of the feast, after the brief disturbance of the account with the Jewish leaders and their plot to trap Jesus again with the situation revolving the woman caught in adultery, verse 12 of chapter 8 picks back up with Jesus continuing to teach openly in the temple, which is why verse 12 begins, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, And what Jesus says is particularly impactful, full of meaning, because the other significant way the Jews recounted God's faithfulness to them of their wilderness wanderings, in addition to the ceremony of the pouring of the water, was called the illumination of the temple. And this ritual took place in the treasury, which is referenced in verse 20, which is also called the court of women. And this ritual happened at the beginning of the feast. And the way the ceremony was celebrated was in the center of the Trinity, there were four great torches set up. Some accounts, these torches were as high as the highest walls of the temple. And at the top of these golden uh, candelabra uh, were great bowls holding big, large uh, liters of oil. In the evening of the feast, young, healthy priests who were not afraid would climb these ladders, carry the oil to the top, and light the protruding wicks, and great flames leapt out of the torches and illumined the entire temple and much of the city of Jerusalem. And the people would celebrate by dancing all night into the morning, again, recounting God's presence and provision for them in the ages past. And it was after these epic celebrations, when the flames of the torches were charred out, Jesus picks back up where he left off and claims, I am the light of the world. Jesus was claiming himself to be the shadowed and the promised light of Exodus 13, verses 21 through 22, of Psalm 27, verse 1, of Psalm 119, 105, of Isaiah 9, 2, of Isaiah 42, 6, Isaiah 49, 6, Isaiah 60, 19 through 20. I'm giving you evidences of how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament scriptures, right? So let me just read one of those verses, Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. And this is what Jesus was doing when he called himself to be the light of the world. He was the fulfillment of this very promise. Jesus was saying, again, he is the fulfillment of that promise. He is the light for the nations. He is the light that will never burn out. 
Now, I want us to get the force of the author of John's sequence. In John chapter 6, Jesus explained that he is the new and better manna, the bread of life. In John chapter 7, Jesus explained that he is the living water in whom all thirsty souls would be quenched. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In summary, Jesus was simply saying, he is the new and greater Moses who has come to deliver his people out from a great bondage, a greater freedom, greater liberty, greater deliverance than the slavery in Egypt. Jesus had come to deliver his people out of an eternal bondage of sin and death. This is who Jesus is, amen? This is what Jesus came to accomplish, the freedom and deliverance of his people. Hallelujah. The next two phrases in verse 12 teaches us some very important truths. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The opposite reality of the first phrase of not following Jesus is that we will walk in darkness if we do not follow Jesus. I don't think I have to convince many of us that we lived in a very fractured and fallen world, do I? This past year and a half of the pandemic and what has transpired is undebatable, undeniable proof that humanity in our own power and left to ourselves cannot figure things out. Can I get a witness? The highest level of science, the greatest governmental powers, the most strategic diplomacy, the most beloved personality cannot prevent political strife, racial division, oppressive regimes, religious persecution, nor stop a global pandemic. Just to name a few problems in our world. And I'm not even talking about our own personal inabilities, our own personal failings, as students, husbands, wives, whatever we are, our own incapabilities to reach moral perfection, much less moral honesty, civility, and transparency. I think this may be the reason why the Netflix mega-hit Squid Games, which is apparently the number one viewed show on Netflix of all time, and there are so many articles which all give their opinion on why this show is so wildly popular, and most all of them assume, and I agree, One of the main reasons for its wild success is because of the realistic portrayal of how men and women will act in desperation to look out for number one at the expense of others' lives. The show is a realistic picture of humanity's dark and depraved self-centered hearts and the brokenness of this world. And people are so drawn to it, are they not? Despite its graphic and gruesome violence, people are going nuts over it, crazy over it. Well, brothers and sisters, the Bible doesn't mince words. When it comes to the reality and the presence of darkness in humanity, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Isaiah 59, 2 says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in case you think you are saved from that accusation, Romans 3.10 says, no one is righteous, not even one. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2.1 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Brothers and sisters, friends, visitors, this is the moral 
and spiritual condition of every single man and woman in history apart from Jesus the Christ. We are all spiritually dead with no hope in ourselves to save ourselves from ourselves, from this meaningless life, from the coming wrath and the right judgment of God in our rebellion and rejection against Him. That is, save following Him. Jesus says, follow me, and you will not walk in darkness. This is what 1 Peter 2.9 means, that Jesus has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. For those of us who have experienced or are perhaps experiencing the darkness of sorrows and sufferings that this life keeps bringing, whether death of loved ones or whether depression or whether painful past or abuses and failures of so many around us, or rejection or addiction, Jesus says to us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here is hope for you, brothers and sisters, friends and visitors. In Jesus, not only you will be delivered from the darkness of sin, the dark grip of sin and its depressing and deadening effects in Jesus. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. What world leader can offer you this freedom? What parent, what good person in this world can offer this liberty to you? Whereas life apart from Jesus was barely living, as the author of Ecclesiastes says, all toiling under the sun are vanities. Of vanities, all is vanity. In Jesus, according to Romans 14, 17 through 18, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you're tired of vanities and vanities and toiling after nothing, The kingdom of God offers you righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. John 10.10 says the thief or the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Amen? If you are here and you are not a Christian, I encourage you to listen carefully to the testimonies you will hear soon at our baptisms at the close of service. Listen carefully to how Justin and Delia, who were once dead in their trespasses and sins, trusted on Jesus, clung to Jesus, and were made new. There's not a single person here who claims we've made it or arrived by our profession of faith in Jesus, but all of us who are Christians claim that life in Jesus is so much better. That life in Jesus, although not perfect, Although still we struggle in fighting sin and the effects of sin around us, because of Jesus, we have joy. We have peace. We have strength. We have forgiveness. We have freedom. And we have hope. Because in Him, we have new life. And we are in route to eternal life. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you reflecting Jesus' light today? Jesus says, because He Himself is the light For those of us who are in him, we are also light. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket 
but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When others observe your life, do you show them Jesus? When others observe your speech, do they tell them of Jesus? When others observe the way you interact with people who are different than you, who have different opinions than you, do you represent Jesus? When others differ with you, do you show them Jesus' grace and love? Do you show them Jesus in the way you use your time, in your finances, in your relationships, in the way you love one another? Do you show them Jesus by showing others how to follow Jesus in the way you help others follow Jesus? What does your life show? Does it show Jesus? Point number one, Jesus is the light of life. Point number two, what does it mean Jesus is the light? Point number two, Jesus is the truth. Verses 13 through 18. Did you notice just in that section, verses 13 through 18, how many times the word true is used? Four times, I think. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Four times. Two important lessons are brought up in these verses to support the point that Jesus is the truth. Subpoint one, Jesus is God. Subpoint two, Jesus judges truly. So look with me to verses 13 and 14 again. It says, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. In these verses, the Pharisees who are dead set on going against Jesus at all costs question Jesus regarding his authority. Verse 13, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. What they're saying basically is how can we believe what you say is true? You're saying that you are the light of the world? How can we believe this? And they were again either misapplying or just plain ignorant of their own laws, referring to Deuteronomy 17.6 or Deuteronomy 19.15, which required two witnesses in a trial. Well, what was going on between the Pharisees and Jesus wasn't even an official trial. But again, it just shows how low and desperate they got in their attempt to show Jesus as a criminal in their own motives. But notice Jesus' response in verse 14. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. See, Jesus is repeating what he's already said in chapter 7. What he already claimed repeatedly, so clearly, so they would not miss it. Jesus was never secret or hesitant about his claims, you see. What is Jesus saying his origin is? What is Jesus saying his ultimate destination is? That he is from God. That he is going back to God. Simply, he was saying that he is God. Therefore, what he was saying was, what I say of myself is indeed true. Because God is truth. And the source of all truths. That's why Numbers 23 verse 19 says... God is not man that he should lie, or the son of a man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? The answer to those questions is, of course, yes, he will do it. When he spoke it, he will fulfill it. 
Amen? Jesus was unlike the Pharisees who judged according to the flesh. That's why he says, you judge according to the flesh. In verse 15, I judge no one. Of course, in saying this, Jesus wasn't saying that he will never judge. Scripture clearly tells us that when he comes again, when Jesus returns on the last day, he will come to judge the deeds of all men. But here in this verse, in Jesus' first coming, as Jacob shared last week, Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to be condemned on our behalf. So verses 16 through 18 are the repetitions of the subpoints that I just shared. Verse 16 through 18, which says, Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. Quoting Deuteronomy again, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Because Jesus is God, he judges truthfully. Jesus alone is the righteous judge. Brothers and sisters, this is the reason why we as God's children are so blessed. God has revealed his truth to us in Jesus Christ. Whereas apart from Jesus, all we have is general revelation as Matt prayed, that the creator God is a powerful God, an orderly God. When you look at creation, you could see these things, right? That he is a creative and beautiful God, a ginormous God, just enough knowledge to fear him to be deathly afraid of this powerful, amazing, majestic God and to ponder ways to please Him, which will never, ever be enough with our own strength, with human efforts. But through special revelation, through Jesus, God's full and final word, through His word, we have the good news of God, the full and complete truth of God. Amen? Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the best news you will ever hear, I guarantee it. That God, who is holy and just, created all things in love for his own glory and for our joy. But man, you and me, having been tempted by Satan, chose to trust ourselves, wanting to be gods unto ourselves, deliberately disobeying and distrusting God's word. As a result, we were separated from God, completely helpless and incapable of saving ourselves from the vain and dissatisfying power and curse of sin. That's why we were in the dark. We couldn't see truth. We couldn't hear truth. We couldn't know the truth of God. But God, in his mercy, had a plan from the very beginning, even before the foundations of the world, to redeem us and forgive us for our sins. Sins of your past, sins of your present, sins of the future, to give us eyes to see and know his truth all along. His plan was to send His own Son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died, and He took our place as a substitute on the cross, and He paid the debt that we should have paid, we would have paid in eternal hell. They thought He was dead. They buried Him in a tomb. They thought it was over. But on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from death, which meant that God accepted His sacrifice, which meant that Christ defeated sin, death, and Satan forever, and that whosoever would repent and believe in him will not die and go to hell, but participate in his resurrection and live the new life here on earth and eternal life forevermore. If you are here and you are not a Christian, let me just tell you how glad we are to have you. Seriously, thank you so much for joining us.
But let me ask you this question. What is your truth? If you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't believe in this Bible, what is your truth? What do you rely on as unchanging truth? Stock market? Your job? Your talents? Your efforts? What is reliable, bona fide, certain truth according to you? Is it science? Is it yourself? Is it your parents? Is it government? Is it presidents? Is it your wealth? Is it your health? What truth can you cling to in this ever-changing, ever-compromising society and culture? The scripture says, grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of God remains forever. This book testifies of God's truth, and it has been doing so for thousands of years, from generation to generation. There is no book like it. There is no other truth like it. This book testifies of Jesus. He is the truth, and the salvation that we have in him is certain. He is good and gracious. He is the light of the world, and he invites you today. Friend, he is calling you if you are not a Christian or you are not sure that you are. He is calling you today by his words, by his invitation out of darkness today, right now, this moment. So repent of your sins today, which means to turn from clinging to the, to the temporary things of this world. Cling to Christ. Believe in the words of this book that he died and rose again for you. And trust in Jesus with your whole life today. Again, what else can you trust on? What else can you rely on? Jesus came for you and me and is calling you out of darkness today. If you want to know more about how to follow Jesus, talk to me, Pastor Jeremy at the outside door or J Jacob at this other door and we'd be happy to talk to you more about how you can follow Jesus today. Third and finally, much shorter point, what does it mean Jesus is the light? Jesus is the way. Verses 19 through 20. Look with me to those verses again. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. The Pharisees persists in doubting Jesus and questioning Jesus. They would not believe Jesus' truth even as he repeatedly told them again and again, I am from God, I'm going to God. Okay, And so Jesus says to them a word of indictment. You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. What Jesus was saying was, I am the way to the father. You can't know God if you don't know me. You can't know God if you don't know Jesus. You can't know the Father if you don't know the Son. You can't know the truth if you don't know Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 20 says, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Here's another affirmation, brothers and sisters, that the Pharisees were mere puppets in the grand redemptive plan of God the Father. They were not a threat to Jesus whatsoever. They merely served a purpose. What was God's purpose? To save dead men from darkness through the substitute life and substitute death of his son. 
Brothers and sisters, do you believe today that God is sovereign over all still today in your life? That He is in control over all of your circumstances in your life? That He is in control over your singleness, over your marriage, over your parenting, over your work situation, over your future careers, over your worries, over your anxieties, over your illnesses, over your fears, that in Jesus you have the life, the truth, and the way to peace, to help, to joy, and to hope. Brothers and sisters, this is the blessing we have in Jesus, that in Jesus alone we have certain victory, that in him today's sorrows are tomorrow's rejoicing, that in Jesus whatever defeats and failures in this life are opportunities to truth and to cling to him all the more. Hear these concluding words from 1 Thessalonians 5, and I pray that it will encourage you. It says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are all drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet of hope, of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Brothers and sisters, members of New Covenant Baptist Church, let's shine the light of Jesus together brightly. Jesus has revealed himself to us. His light shines in us and through us. Amen? Jesus is the life. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way to the Father. Let's pray.